Luke 15. We're going to begin with verses 1 through 3 and then read 11 through 32. Very familiar parable. Listen to the word of God. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Now we'll jump down to the third of the three parables. Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in desolate living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country. And he began to be in need. So he hired himself to one of the citizens of the country, sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the paws that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, or against heaven, and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field and when he came and approached the house he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, your father has killed the fatted calf because he has gotten him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, You killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open up our eyes and our hearts that through your word proclaimed we may be transformed and that we may encounter you, the living word. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. One question that I have gotten frequently over the years as a father of four sons is which one is my favorite? Now, when one of my sons has asked that question, I have said, not you at the moment. <laughs> but if the truth be told, as a state of the heart, I do not have a favorite. I don't know one, how one measures the heart, but if you could, my love would come out equal for all of them. But if you measure love as an action, then I love the one who needs me the most at any given time the most. And by that measure, there have been days when each of the four were the favored son. Now, in spite of my vast experience as being a father to sons, both biological and many surrogate ones, if I were to identify with the father in today's text, I will have greatly misread the text. This parable has traditionally been called the parable of the prodigal son for the obvious reasons. It is the third in a series of parables. The first is a lost sheep, a lost coin, so it follows that the third one is about a lost or prodigal son. But it's important to remember how this passage begins, right? If you go back. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the good religious people, were grumbling, saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to whom is Jesus speaking in this parable the sinners the outcast the traitors who are the tax collectors or is he speaking to the good religious folks who are judging the tax collectors and the sinners is this in reality a parable about the older brother or at least is it a tale of two brothers or if there was an academy award given for this story who are the supporting actors in the drama and who is the lead actor maybe that's whom the parable should be named after. You know, when I'm, I'm preaching, I try to give credit. If I quote somebody, I always try to, uh, to identify them. But I want to say, I want to recommend to you two books that have greatly enriched my understanding of this parable over the years. The first one is, and they're both passed, uh, both authors are of blessed memory. They both have passed on to their reward. Henry Nowen wrote a beautiful book. It's a meditation, not only on the parable, but it's a meditation on the beautiful Rembrandt painting that depicts this story. So Henry Nowen's book, The Return of the Prodigal, is a wonderful book. 
The book I've become more familiar with lately is one by Ken Bailey, The Cross and the Prodigal. And Ken Bailey spent 40 years in Egypt, Lebanon, Jerusalem, and Cyprus teaching and living among Bedouins and also Middle Eastern Christians. So he brings a really unique kind of insight into his New Testament studies in the context of what these stories really have meant in the first century. And I think this story in particular has some things that we may miss because we don't necessarily know that context that Bailey certainly brings out. So let's step back and look at the major characters in this story. There are four major characters, three we're familiar with, but I'll talk about the fourth one later on. Henry Nowen one time once said, I am the prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. Okay. I said, every time I look for unconditional love where it cannot be found, I'm a prodigal. The younger brother says, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. That is one of the most convoluted sentences in the entire New Testament. Okay. In other words, what's the son asking? Give me my inheritance. And you can say that in two words in Aramaic. Okay. But this is a long sentence. So why is this so convoluted? Well, if he just came out and said, give me my inheritance, what is he saying to the father? When do you get inheritance? He wants the father dead. But that would be rude to say it straightforward. Okay. So he says the same thing with a lot of words, and everybody still knows he wants the father dead, right? Or just as good as dead, right? Now, in this culture, traditionally, the younger son would have been entitled to one-third of the father's assets. Okay? All right? But you didn't have liquid assets in this time period. So where would all the money have been? Where would his inheritance have been? And we get the impression that the father in the parable is a wealthy person. Okay, maybe the, the head man in the village, right? Maybe the sheik would have been his title among the Bedouins, all right? Well, it's in property, houses, livestock. So how does he get his money? Well, it's kind of a going out of business liquidation sale, right? Okay. So maybe even got one of those poor guys with a sign by the, you know, a, a fire sale. My son's going crazy. I need to sell one third of my stuff. And it says it happened in only a couple of days. So can you imagine the incredible tumult that would have been in this village? And have you ever been to a farm sale? Okay. Well, okay. You could, I grew up in the country. All right. So I've been to a farm sale. Okay. They're chaotic. And they take weeks to plan. So basically, Dad, I, I would rather you be dead, and I want one-third of my stuff. I want it now. And within a couple of days, he's gone. Now, your whole identity in the Middle East, even to this day, is wrapped up in your village. When, some, when you ask, someone asks you who you are, you tell them what village you're from. 
That's your identity. So not only does he do something that was unheard of, no one would ever have done this. And the father, by rights, could have had him roughed up, beaten, thrown into a jail. But the father gives him his wish. And so he goes and lives riotous living. In other words, we don't know what he did, but he went to a far-off place, okay, and probably tried to buy friendship. And quickly he went through all that he had. And then there came an ill-timed famine. Okay? When we have a bad crop in this country, maybe, maybe prices go up a little bit. Okay? So what's happened in the Midwest this spring, it may eventually show up in the grocery stores. Okay? Devastating floods in the Midwest. In the ancient world, and to this day, in many parts of the world, there's a famine and thousands of people starve. And really horrible things happen as people get to that point. So here is a foreigner, and we find out he's a Jew in a Gentile land whose money's run out, and he has no friend. So he's a beggar. There's reasons why we know he's a beggar, but I won't totally go into that, all right? So he comes to himself. He's actually working for the pigs. And probably the citizen of the country, he's begging this person to give him a job. He says, he's a Jew. I'll send him to the pigs. Maybe he'll stop bugging me. Just go away and die. I have more things to worry about. And so he's feeding the hogs. <laughs> the most degrading thing for a Jewish person to do, for that matter, even you know a Muslim or any other contemporary person of the Middle East, it's not... It's a, it's a derogatory. It's, it is an unclean thing to be doing. And he can't eat, he can't eat the pods, right? Because you can't digest them. So he's watching pigs eating better than he is while he's starving. And it says he comes to himself. You know what? I'm going to go home, and maybe I can hire myself out as a skilled worker. The, the hired worker would be like a craftsman. So maybe I'll go back home. He knows he's not welcome. We'll talk about that in a, in a few minutes. But maybe I can earn my way back in. And then he practices a speech. Right? He, he comes up with, this is what I'm going to tell my dad. Right? If you look at it, if you have it in front of you, his speech is, uh, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. It's interesting. This speech shows up somewhere else in the Bible. Something that we often miss. I don't even know if your footnotes tell you that. Sometimes you have cross-references. But there's one other person who used almost the exact same line. I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. You know who it was? It was Pharaoh to Moses after the eighth plague. The plague of locusts. And he says he asked Abraham or he asked Moses to come in. I'm really sorry, I've been wrong. Can you please get the locusts to go away? I've sinned against God and against you. And two things happen. Number one, all right, Moses prays, and the locusts go away. And number two, Pharaoh forgets about that prayer as soon as he gets the locusts away. In other words, 
Jesus has put in the mouth of this young son a totally insincere prayer from the greatest bad guy in the history of the Old Testament. So is the son sorry for what he's done? He's certainly sorry that he's starving and he's broke. But the hearers of this story would have immediately understood what Jesus was saying. This guy is as sorry as Pharaoh was after the eighth plague. Which means not that sorry. Our definition of prodigal probably has been born from this parable, but in the ancient world, we get a definition of prodigal from Aristotle. And basically, a prodigal is the opposite, you know, the middle of someone who gives liberally. Okay? So the means between the extreme, the virtue is to be generous, if you would. The extreme of, uh, against that is meanness, he says. And the mean person never shares what they have. So we would call that person the greedy, the stingy person. The person who has plenty to give to other people but never shares, that's the one extreme. The person on the other extreme is the prodigal. And the prodigal wastes of his substance, gives of himself, and ruins himself in the process. So as a person who, who substantially gives of themselves, and hurts themselves in the process. According to Aristotle, that's what it means to be the prodigal. Keep that definition in mind. So then we come to the older brother. Nowen says in talking about the older brother, resentment and gratitude cannot coexist since resentment blocks the perception and experience of life as a gift. My resentment tells me that I don't receive what I deserve. It always manifests itself in envy. For a while, there was a debate in the early church what would be the chief of all vices. Pride ends up winning, okay? But for a while, envy almost won. And maybe the history of humans harming other human beings, envy may be at the center of that. Now, we often think of, don't think of the older brother until the end of the story, but in reality, when the younger brother came to the father at the beginning, traditionally, it should have been the older brother who was the arbitrator. The older brother should have been the one who should have been involved in the negotiations, but he's nowhere to be found. And something else we may not miss, or we may miss, is that in the ancient Near East, as well as the current Middle East, the older brother is required to be part of all ceremonies. So, regardless of why the party is being thrown, the older brother should have been in there. Once he knew there was a party, it was his responsibility to come inside and greet everyone and almost be kind of the master of ceremonies. The younger brother rebels against the father in wanting to leave. The older brother publicly disgraces the brother, the father, and rebels against the father by failing to perform his duties. By the way, we often get this wrong. Whose party really is this? We think 
the party is being thrown for the younger brother. But who's happy? Who's really celebrating here? It's the father's party, right? And so the older brother not only disdains his younger brother, who he doesn't even call brother, right? He says, your son. He doesn't even recognize him as brother. But the older brother is refusing to celebrate with the father. So in terms of cultural taboos, the older brother is actually more guilty of disgracing the father than the younger brother. And the way he talks to his father, the tone doesn't totally come through in the English, but he is insulting. He doesn't open his address to the father with a term of respect. He says, listen. And you can almost see his fingers in his father's face. Another horrible taboo. He said, I've worked like a slave for you. Now let's take a step back. Okay. All right. Remember, at the beginning of the story, the inheritance was divided up, right? So the younger brother got his third. So everything else goes to who? The older brother. Who has the older brother been working for? <laughs> right? Right. So he said, I've been working for you. Well, he's been working for his own stuff. The other thing, by the way, as long as the father's alive, it in essence belongs to him. So the father can do whatever he wants to with the fatted calf. <laughs> but you can already see the son in the back of his mind is, is taking, you know, doing the accounting for the party. It's certainly easily see the Pharisee and the older brother, right? We can see, well, Jesus is letting those Pharisees have it. But you all are sitting in church today. And I, I'm glad you're in church, right? I mean, I could be up here talking to myself, which wouldn't be the first time that has happened, all right? But I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're sincere. I'm glad you're seeking. But who are we more like in this story? Now, for the hearers of the, of the story, there had been a fourth character that I haven't really talked about, and that is the village, because everything happened in the open in these villages. So everybody knew that the son wanted the father dead, and everybody probably understood what was going on in the fire sale to get the land, okay? <clears throat> By rights, that son gave up his citizenship to this village. Matter of fact, if he ever would have come back after wasting his money with Gentiles, they would have had a ceremony to permanently expel him. So the village is watching all this happen and probably delighting in the fact that this wealthy leading citizen is being humiliated. But maybe the story is really about the father. 
because the father is publicly humiliated throughout the whole story. Matter of fact, even when the son comes back, the Greek word there is that he races. When you were a first citizen and when you were an adult man, you never ran in the village. You walked with dignity. If you're the first citizen, you would never run. But he didn't move quickly. According to the Greek, he raced, the same word that's used when they were having the Olympic Games. So this old man pulls up his robes and is running like a maniac through town to go encounter his son who disgraced him. The sale of the assets would have been a staggering loss. And then the older brother, who should have been there celebrating with the father, who should have given the father public respect, instead publicly ridicules the father. The father, by right, should have come outside and said, either you get in here or we're going to lock you up and I'll deal with you tomorrow. Instead, in front of the whole party, this father is begging his older brother to come in to do the very thing he was supposed to do. But the father doesn't care about the crowd. The father doesn't care about what his proper role is. The only thing the father cares about are his sons. In many ways, the father is the prodigal. He extravagantly gives of himself to his own detriment. To show his self-emptying love for his sons. The one thing both sons had in common, not only did they disrespect their father and rebel against their father, neither of them had any idea who he was and the depth of his love. This prodigal father is God incarnate who emptied himself, who denied himself in order to love his rebellious children. The ones who openly rebel and go wild and the ones who rebel in their self-righteous spirits. He's the kind of person who runs down the road, throws a banquet for returning sinners, pleads with the self-righteous to come in out from the cold. He's the one who's willing to do whatever, to give whatever, to show his children that he loves them. This portrait gives us, or this parable gives us a portrait of two sons and two different ways to nullify the grace of God. Realizing that this is the parable of the two brothers is the first corrective. We can point out to the botched prodigal and thank God we are not like him. We can equally feel superior to the legalistic older brother who can represent what we hate about Catholics or what we hate about progressives or what we hate about fundamentalists or what we hate about whatever religious tribe we do not like at the present moment. Whoever we think chooses the law over the gospel. But then we are as, as ignorant and as lost 
as the siblings in this story. The parable is really about the extravagant love of a father who culturally humiliates himself to show mercy to both his lost sons who share the tragic flaw of having no idea how much they are loved by their father. A crucified God destroys all religious pretensions, even the theologically correct ones. G.K. Chesterton once said, there are two ways to come home. One is to go all the way around the world and come back, kind of like the prodigal, right? And then the other is to never leave, right? But sometimes we think we haven't left, but the older brother was as far away from the father as the prodigal. Blessed are the ones who are willing to say yes to the humble love of the Father. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us stand and say what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed.